So now in uh, this meditation, I would like to introduce you to a very important person. That is your future self. And the reason I uh, would like to share this little tool with you is it's obvious that in the Tibetan tradition, the bonding process uh, to a teacher, to a lineage, to the Buddha, to the Dharma, to the Sangha, very, very important, very crucial. It's kind of, as Lama Tsongkhapa says, the foundation of all good qualities is my bond to the teacher, which is not the person, but uh, that what that person symbolizes and carries. And it's that person which, through the words of the Buddha, through the sacred words of the Buddha, helps you to uncover your inner beauty. And there's reasons uh, in our culture to be suspicious uh, towards that kind of practice, which, is, which also kind of led to this secular approach to meditation and mindfulness, you know, where techniques are completely emptied from the broader vision of the tradition where they come from. Because you scare people away when you talk about something which science can't prove and our senses can't perceive. At least the five senses or subtle sense can perceive these energies. So then uh, the meeting of the future self could be a bit of a way to benefit from the ideas and the benefit of this bonding process. So probably uh, some of you know and have done and I've integrate that also sometimes in my guided meditation, this idea of the inner child healing. So what you do in this kind of practices is that you personify a certain process within you, a pain, a struggle, a vulnerability, a helplessness, and you personify that into the symbol of the inner child. And then uh, you start to communicate with that inner child. And you bring into that process empathic looking, empathic witnessing. For some people that's really very powerful and healing. So that's that could be part of the purification of karma and healing of trauma. Could be using, and there's many variations of this. So now, in the meeting of your future self, you imagine yourself going this path of healing for the rest of this life, and you could even go beyond. And you imagine on this path of healing, you remove that all these fears, all these patterns, all these wounds which are obscure your inner beauty. So you imagine yourself to go a path of awakening, of liberation, of healing, and you feel into how you would be then. And you imagine that that future self, the woman you would like to develop into, the woman who wants the goddess within you, which wants to come out, she actually starts to bloom in your future. And we can stay within this life, but we can even go beyond. So what if that healing process is not limited to this life, but it can go on? So what, what, what might happen with the potential of love you carry, with your creativity, with the joy you carry, with the care in your heart, when that really starts to bloom? So and then we imagine that that future self looks back at us in the same way we can look back at us back then, you know, with this deep understanding, with this deep knowing. What did this little girl, five years old, needed? What would you want to say to her from your mature self, more mature? 
moment yourself now. So you, you look back. So in the same way, I mean, it's, it's, it's very likely that you're going to do that stuff in 20 years, looking back at the woman you are now. You look at yourself now with all your struggles and in your perceptual filters and trying to do your best. And in 20 years, you look back. Yeah, I know how hard it was. But you know what? You did really your best. I know. And look where your work, you did then. And it was hard, I know, because I was there. Where it ended, now I'm here. Look at that. Build on, on the struggle. I bow to you, says your future self. In the same way, we can bow to the little child and acknowledge her and express to her that we are proud that she did her best and that we know that. And we are so thankful to her, to that little child. Because even if she developed a pattern of disassociation, which you struggle your whole life with, that she did that to survive. She was not stupid or something. She survived. Maybe a very dysfunctional family. How did she do that? A true hero. So in the same way, we imagine our future self looking at us with that same kind of understanding, empathy, and unconditional love, which we can have to our inner child. And uh, this, is, uh, this can be a bit uh, more accessible for, uh, for us because we, we don't need to rely on something we don't see or we don't know, or some religious symbols. It's us. It's you. So there is something very familiar in that love. You know it, because it's you. And it starts to bloom already. And you feel how your capacity to care, the way you look at your children, the way you look at your cat, the way you take care of the plants in your house, the way you try to be a decent person and not to harm others, that's familiar. It's you. It's your, it's your own way of being. Now, who knows what the Dalai Lama feels? Yeah? Who knows? It's like you know how you feel. And you just amplify that goodness. And you look at yourself from the future. So now I want to add something. Uh, and that is time is a strange thing. There's like some physicists and also spiritual teachings that actually the, the sense of linear time is, is completely made up and it's just our way to cope. So there is like interpretation of quantum mechanics which say that actually everything is already here and it's just our conceptual mind who needs to create the illusion of a linear time. So not only are particles, the quantum stuff is not only non-local, you can't pin it into a certain location, but they are everywhere at any time. They then even say, no, you know what, time travel is possible, theoretically. So could it be that loving presence, which sometimes breaks into your life, where you feel loved and seen and safe, is actually you yourself, your future self, doing an inner, inner child healing right now. So then that loving presence, which I talk about, you know, like bathing in the gaze of the Dalai Lama and so on and so on, can become something very personal, something you know already because it's already here. It's not, it's not something alien. 
it's very uh, it's very simple, very ordinary, because it's you. It's your kindness, your care. It's nothing dramatic. You don't need to become another person. It's it's your love. So let's uh, make this little experiment. And uh, as always, we start with adjusting our posture, taking our seats, Vajra seat, the Bodhi seat. And uh, take a few moments to notice your posture. Maybe you want to adjust it slightly into a bit more supporting the alertness part, the presence part, or maybe to soften a bit. So it depends. If you are rigid and kind of too, too, too hard on yourself in the posture, then you soften. And if you are a bit sluggish, then you adjust and you open your chest. And you assume a bit of dignity in the posture. And then you allow the body to settle. Shoulders can soften in the belly. And we slide into the sacred space, the safe space. Uh, surrounded by the Sangha and surrounded by the presence of the Buddha and his teachings, like this temple, welcoming the guests in the guest house of the body. Our senses are open, disentangled, or unhooking from narrative part, the conceptual part, shifting gear from the knowing to being in the present moment, present moment awareness. And then we invoke the presence of the future self, of your future self. We call upon, please come here for our support, reveal yourself. And then within the space of your awareness, which is like a dream, uh, the space in front of you manifests your future self. And give your subconscious you know, the permission to come up with an image or with a sense, how does your future self look like? And you imagine how the care within you, the tenderness, the creativity, the joy, the fearlessness, which is available sometimes already in your life, how that in the future self came to its full bloom. And you look into your eyes and she smiles, he smiles at you. And uh, she or he is so happy that you call upon her. And uh, her whole uh, energy, her whole expression in her face, in the way she holds her body, expresses unconditional love. She really knows your struggle. And she smiles. That Buddha smile, that Tara smile. You stay in your body and you allow your future self to gaze upon you, radiate upon you. And everything in her being says, it's fine. You're fine. You're safe. And maybe she also wants to say something to you. A word, a sentence. And feel how it is to be completely known and seen. You can't hide anything from her. And at the same time to be loved. There's uh, joy, there's freedom. From her point of view, everything which is happening in your life makes completely sense. And she knows that it is hard for you. And she's so proud of you that you don't give up. Because your determination to be free makes her possible. 
she depends on you, and she is so grateful for that, that you didn't give up. How does she smell? What's the tone of her voice? How does she move? How does she hold her body, his body? How does her presence feel? You know, you know how her presence feels. It's you. There's something so close, something so simple in her presence, something so familiar, something so deep you, that it is almost possible sometimes to miss it and just rest in that encounter. Feel that presence all around you. She's appearing in front of you, but you'll feel her presence also from behind. It's uh, surrounding and pervading whatever you experience right now. And through her words or through her expression, she assures you that she will never leave you. She will be always there, accessible. She's always looking after you, day and night. She blesses you. And let her gaze go there where you are hot with yourself, where you you're guilty, you are ashamed, where you're afraid, where you sometimes feel hopeless, where you sometimes feel like giving up. She is so full of love. I know how you feel. I see you. She believes in you. She knows that you manage. She knows that you are on the path of awakening. And she's so grateful. And maybe we can go beyond this life to the future Buddha, to the awakened one, the goddess. Then she dissolves. And you integrate her back where she comes from into your own being. It's your true self, which is already here in the center, in the sacred space at the heart level. And you feel how her presence fills your whole body. How this body, as it is, becomes an instrument of her peace, of her love. She moves you, directs you, inspires you. She shows herself in your intuition. She looks through her through your eyes and she speaks to your mouth through your mouth. And you sit in the center of the mandala of your life as your future self, as the future Buddha, the future Taoba. And then you rest. What is important uh, with you know, the different suggestions I make uh, this weekend is to kind of uh, feel uh, so is that something for me in this? And then uh, what is important is to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. That's why for many people practice doesn't work. Because it's, it's uh, the, the, the traumatic and karmic imprints and processes, they are so strong, they are hardwired into the brain. And they fire and fire and fire. And it's very easy, they are like highways. You know, like boom, 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 and uh, and to restructure that, experiences are not enough. They need to become traits. And how do they become traits? Is through repeating. And one of the challenges in the Tibetan tradition, there is so much. We get confused. Then maybe we don't do anything because what should I do? And uh, unless you have like a a strong bond to, uh, to, a, to a master who would maybe tell you, uh, which, is, which has advantages, but also disadvantages, yeah? you need to follow your intuition and then kind of commit to, a, to certain tools or certain practices and do them for a while, three months, something like that. 
or maybe start with four weeks or uh, and and it's and one can of course alternate with different uh, with different tools and maybe some of you already have some tantric commitments of bonding process uh, maybe you have taken initiations or things like that so maybe then this meditation could you know you could integrate some something which you learned or something where you now felt oh yeah yeah I will this is this is really helpful I, I will bring this piece of puzzle into into my guru yoga practice so you you keep uh, your practices alive by, by experimenting by putting new things in by by exploring okay so just as a uh, because we are going to uh, explore this more deeply this uh, how to interrupt patterns and how to uh, dissolve them just like a peek into that and then I will say a bit more about trauma I brought the definition of trauma from Miles Davies it's pretty much what I said yesterday but it's good to hear it again so uh, Miles no, what's his name? Miles Davis? Maybe. Neil, Miles, Miles Neil, except not Miles Davis. He was a test player. He's also a guru, you know? It's, it's, he's really a guru. I mean, jazz is, you know, wow. He, said, he writes in this interview, it's also from this interview, the key is to recognize and stay present with an unpleasant karmic effect. So that's the first part to recognize and stay present with an unpleasant karmic effect, meaning anything unpleasant is a karmic effect. To recognize and stay present. That's what we do in meditation, right? We sit down, we take our seat, and we recognize and stay present. Again, Pema children, stay. And then our mind goes off into distraction, numbing, and so on. And you recognize that and you bring your mind back to what is, to stay present. So that's, you know, that's also someone, a therapist who would work on a traumatic experience with you. Part of that work would be to bring you back into the experience in short time, like split of a second in the beginning. But then slowly, slowly, as, as I said, what you want to hear, you need to touch. The, the way out is to go through. And that's difficult. And we do it slowly. We do it gently. And we do it not alone. We take support. In the tradition, you take the support of Tara. You, you don't go into the into the unconscious mind without the support you need. A friend, a therapist, a teacher, Sangha, the tradition, the methods, the refuge, Bodhicitta. So all of that. So that's the first. Stay embrace, approach. You stay present with an unpleasant karmic effect while resisting the hook of its habituated reaction patterns. Why resisting that? So the hook of the, the, hook of the habituated reaction patterns in meditation could be distraction. You start to think about something else. That's the pattern. Or you find yourself that you disconnect from your body or you have a strong resistance, or something in your mind says, this is stupid, this is hopeless, this is a waste of time. i rather watch Netflix because that gives me some relief. So we resist these 
that's what also uh, uh, Patrick said about this gap. Yeah, so that was a moment where he resisted the hook of the habituated reaction. This habituated reaction is one of the results of karma. We react like that because we have reacted like that in the past. So what is purification? It's exactly that. That's pur that's called purification. In the in the case of trauma, it would be called healing. But that's that's how we purify karma yeah? to resist the pattern. So that's the first. Then we can consciously 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 choose. Before we are not conscious, we are not aware. We are predictable animals. Something happens and we react out of habit. So that's freedom. That's a window of freedom. If we look, you know, kind of, is there, are we, is there any kind of freedom or is everything predetermined? No, that's not what karma says. It's not predetermined at all. But if we just keep on doing this, then we will have the same result. And actually, because that's one of the four features of karma is expandable, it will get worse. So that's like, you know, I used to tell a story about the angry boss, you know, like 10 years ago or something. Maybe someone here remembers that. So you have an angry boss and you don't have that awareness. So you just react as you reacted before. And at one point it becomes too much and you say, I'm out of here. This is too much. I can't stay in this company, which is an option. I'm not saying we, we should stay in places which are not workable anymore. Yeah. So that's a very important point. When, when does a situation or a relationship is not workable anymore is when you, when you feel you are going this spiral downward. What that doesn't mean when you go for divorce is that you get rid of that person. We can't get rid, we can't get away from anyone, from anything. But sometimes the wisest thing to do is to give you some space to do this, uh, uh, to do this work. Because otherwise, if you stay in a relationship, an abusive relationship, it will just come as expandable. Yeah, so then, then, so you, you, you go to another company. So now, what happens with karma, as I said, creates perceptual filters. So you see more of that which makes you angry. And another thing, I also said that one other result of karma, you are drawn to that. You're drawn to the situation. So what you actually find yourself is a company where three angry bosses, three angry bosses and are they angry? Are they more angry than other bosses? Nobody knows because you have your perceptual filters. You don't see them as people. You don't see maybe that one of them is actually a kind person, but he has a dying wife at home and he is just completely stressed and anxious. And that's his way to manage the situation. We, we don't see that. Our perceptual filters filter that out. What we see is, oh, that's an asshole, like my, just like my last boss. But there's three of them. So what, what does that mean? You have more opportunity to meditate upon the habitual response. So you strengthen that neuronal pathway, that habit. And of course, the, 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 your perceptual filters, uh, they change the, the company. They, they change the office. 
You go to the office and you think this is really hell, but, but your, your colleague is really happy in the same office. And maybe the colleague knows that this angry boss knows the situation and has some empathy for that, for that angry boss. So that colleague, actually, the same person increases her capacity for empathy and love and compassion. It's the same situation. Different perceptual filters. So now, karma is expandable. So you go down that road and of angry boss, meeting angry boss, being more and more angry. Perceptual filter. No goodness in people. Every, there's only evil people. There's only people who are wanting to hurt me. And that's called, in the Buddhist cosmology, the angry boss hell. Which, where does the angry boss hell exist? In your perceptual filters. That's what karma is. Hells are not places where we go to. Hells are places we create through our perceptual filters. And we can be in hell or in heaven in any room. Sounds a bit unrealistic when we think about war, but let's not go into the extreme examples. Yeah? But even like if you, if you read about the life stories of some of the masters who have spent 20 years in, in Chinese concentration camps, and then came to the West as sources for compassion and wisdom, and, and I met a few of them, they are dead now, yeah? but uh, it's a generation of the older masters who, who, who were still trained in, in Tibet. One would say the, the experience of being in a concentration camp is traumatic, but it's not. Trauma is subjective. That's, a, that's of course, quite visual, like, so it's important not to, one can be inspired by these stories, but it's important not to beat yourself up that you're not able to do that, and that for you it's enough to live in Göteborg, and it's kind of a concentration camp. Yeah. <laughs> Because karma is subjective. You can't tell, you can't say to another person, yeah, look, no, war, and you're talking about, you know, that your father beat you two times. Yeah? Karma is subjective. It's not like what is a, a source, what is a cause for compassion and love for some person, like being in a concentration camp, is a real traumatic experience for most of us. So a question. Uh, so you say these motor highways are, are patterns, mm. and mm, now to go against those patterns, yeah. and it, is it at least what I feel is to change myself, just like running, you know, this mm. so, so do you have any advice about how to approach it? Because uh, to start small, like what I mean is um, more things to get irritated on, to train up for, I mean, sometimes how to train yourself to break these patterns. Do you understand the question? Mm. So, do you have any advice on that? How to approach it? How how do I change my patterns? I mean, well, first, okay, let's just, I need to recognize, as you say, I need to recognize, mm. be kind to myself. Yeah. But then when I step in some situation, it's more tough, and I don't have the energy, and I'm afraid, you know, to, mm. I, you know, then I run away. But some other ones might be easier to, I don't mm. know if you have <laughs> Maybe I, I, hope I, I hope uh, I'm going to say something useful about that. But this is, this is like a, a question which you can ask yourself. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. how, how? How can I do that? And it's such a precious question. Because just by asking the question, you, that's, it, it's a bodhicitta question. 
-hmm. you know, it, it, it shows probably you, there's some kind of answers already there, so somewhere to, where to start or, and then there's also failing, failing and making errors and then trying something else. And, yeah. And then, then you start to figure out it's not to, it's not so helpful to, uh, to beat yourself up. And then you start to figure out, hey, actually, with the failing and coming to my limits all the time, that's actually a good thing because it makes me humble and human. And also, it helps me to have like a broader vision that this is, yeah, that I have time and that I don't need to rush it. And, so there's many, many yeah, different things, and you come, you, you, you find out yourself as long as you continue to ask the question. Yes, yes. very good answer. But also I think what you said was um, not to build myself when I pay. This is what I attempt to do, yeah. and I think I should have, I should have just stayed here, why do you not get angry or something mm -hmm. like that, and then I beat myself, rather than saying, okay, I'm also human. Yeah. Mm -hmm and work with smaller things now, yes. find other things, you know, <laughs> that I can yeah. take it gradually and yeah. think the long term as yeah, yeah, and while, while you're doing that, you start actually to establish what you want to establish. Now, when you look at yourself with empath empathetic yeah. understanding, empathetic witnessing in the, in the failing, yeah. when the failing in itself come, becomes the cause for you developing what you want to develop. And one can immediately also see the connection uh, to others because if you, are, uh, if you have an empathetic, empathic understanding for, of your own failing, uh, then you start to have an empathetic understanding of the failing of others. And others see you as well. I am a manager as well. So sometimes, even a job at the work, sometimes when people say that it's also, I change. Yeah, they see you know uh, more the human, human that's part, right. and it's okay for them as well. You know. Yeah. Yes. So I think that's another yeah. perspective. Yes. What really supports very much that kind of loving witnessing of the different processes is an understanding and starting the starting to have an experience of no self because it's so difficult to work with these patterns initially because we identified with them. We think this is who I am. That's also so important in purification practice regarding karma. I mean, it's so tough to acknowledge the harm you do every day to take responsible responsibility for that. But if you have that base of uh, not identifying, it's, it's not me, these patterns, I'm acting like this not because I'm a bad person, it's because something happened to me. That, that makes it possible to be more forgiving to yourself. Is that also the making more karma? That, that the karma is... is In the moment being, you... It's being more... It's, it's, uh, I, I, not, yeah. And stop to create more karma. Yes. Yeah. In, in the moment where you uh, work with... In this angry boss example, in the moment you work with that, you, you find that gap you find other responses, you stop the karma. And, and you start to establish, and that's the second part right now in this quote, and you start to cultivate what? Place what is called traditionally merit into this alaya vijnaya. So you, you start to turn around, you, you start to change your perceptual filters 
and you start to increase the probability that the responses to similar situation will be different. So you create good karma. And um, um, when this happens, it's also uh, it can be it's possible to to be aware aware of it in, in, in the feelings for this uh, yeah. uh, process. Yes. Are, are, uh, mm. uh, on, are going on yeah. uh, to change it in, in, yes. in, in the mind how, how to relate. Yes, you, you, yes, you will. There will be different emotional responses to similar situations. So when the process are going on, and and uh, it has, then it be more easy to also go in that uh, coming in in that uh, uh, process. It's it be more. Uh, it will become the easier. The more you are exactly. it, then it be more easy yeah. also coming to you. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, so, the old so habit until non-purification, it's very easy to be trapped in these patterns. Mm. Yeah. And now we change that and become it becomes more and more easy for you. It becomes a trait. Like when you when you meet angry people, you see them differently. You see their pain. And your response to that words start to become differently, not reactive, but more understanding, more kind, more peaceful. That's good karma. The people, they might not change, but then, of course, in karma we also say we will be drawn to similar situations. So we could maybe experience them after some time that we are drawn to more conducive environments. And, and some people, after maybe going through four or five relationships, for some people that happens. They, they figure out what's happening, they do some work on it, and then suddenly they feel themselves drawn to a partner who's not abusive. So that's how we change our environment. Uh, so we have a bit more time. So far it was to recognize and stay present while resisting the patterns. Then we can consciously choose to re relink that uncomfortable feeling of shame, fear, or pain with a more adaptive and sustainable response. So we can consciously choose to relink re that feeling which before triggered a reactive response like disassociation, numbing, lashing out, you know, all these responses. And we relink to a more, uh, how does he call it, more adaptive and sustainable response. So what could that be? In simple terms, it's kindness, love, care. So when a similar situations with similar feelings arise, you have created a link. Uh, you started to create a habit of kindness, and and that's. I mean, I don't know if I, I mean, I can, I, I can definitely recognize that in myself, that through practicing this again and again, it, it's very, it, it, it happens often that 
my initial response to, for example, noticing jealousy in me is not, oh shit, I shouldn't feel like that. I don't want to feel like that. That's horrible or something. But now my response to that is, oh yeah, there you are. Let's look at this. Where is it in my body? Yeah, so that became more and more in the last 20 years, more and more my automatic response to anything. What help, What happens here? So I have really, well, I have interrupted the previous pattern of self-judgment, self-hatred, repression, denying, freezing, being, being unconscious about what's happening. So I have relieved that so that that which I want to happen happens more often. And as I said in the beginning, I'm not done with the project. Yeah? <laughs> That, that, that's inspiring stories about prisoners who in that environment of a prison. There's quite a few. It's a good example on, on how it's, it's not the situation, not the environment. It's really how we look at it, how we relate to it. So then he says, in other words, we can deposit a positive cause that later ripens into a favorable effect. Yeah? So in other words... We can deposit it, so we put a new kind of energy into the alaya vijnaya. Yeah? So like when I have a, a difficult feeling and I judge it and I'm hard with myself, then I create a certain residual effect which makes it sure that I will respond to a similar feeling in the future in the same way. But now I start to put another residue into the alaya vijnaya, I create new habits and those seeds that are sometimes called seeds, they will make sure that kind of looking at difficult feelings will again happen in the future and then so on and so on and so on.